thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. As we continue to look at this, we're going to be focusing uh, on a couple of gifts tonight. We've been focusing on the gift of the Holy Spirit and who He is as a person, but more uh, specifically, we've been focusing on Wednesday nights on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that the saying goes like this, that it's better to give than to receive, except when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And actually, to be honest, I actually love receiving gifts. If I'm really honest, I love receiving gifts. Not necessarily, if, if, if I was to be honest, it's not because of the gift itself. As much as it is that God or the person that I'm receiving the gift from is thinking about me enough to give me a gift. That's why I like receiving a gift. And then it's to see what the gift actually is. But there's more of an excitement because somebody actually thought enough about me to get me a gift. That gets me excited. I and mean, it doesn't have to be a big gift. It can be, I better not go down that path. It can be a $5 gift card to Starbucks for one cup of coffee. I, I'm talking, that'll make me happy because the other person actually thought enough to give me the gift. So it doesn't matter the size or the denomination of the gift cards. You can give them to my wife. I'm just teasing. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Isn't it fun to receive gifts? Especially from God. Because God, of all gift givers, is the best gift giver. Because his gifts are practical. And they're useful. Most of all, they're personal. His gifts to me are personal. Even though we're talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are for all believers, as it relates to my life, it's a personal gift that comes from a God that knows me better than anyone knows me. And so as he gives me that gift, he's giving it to me because he knows me, and he knows what I need, and he knows how it's going to work out in my life. And his gifts don't break down. They don't quit working. We don't have to return them and get them replaced by another gift. They are good for the rest of our lives the rest of our relationship and walk with the Lord on this earth. Like most gift givers, God gives his gifts as a way to confirm his desire towards us, towards me, his great love for me. In other words, he gives me his gifts. He gives us his gifts in context of my relationship with him as a way to say that relationship is valid, that love is valid, my concern for you, my desire towards you is valid, and we share an intimacy together. So tonight we're going to look at some of these gifts. These are good gifts that God gives us, good gifts that have a good purpose and a good plan in mind as he gives them to us. We're going to look specifically, uh, we've been looking specifically at the Holy Spirit, but more specifically at his gifts that he gave to us as Jesus ascended into heaven. He promised the Holy Spirit and then the Holy Spirit came and he brought even more gifts. So far we've looked at three of the nine gifts that are a part of the gifts of the Spirit. We've looked at what we've called the revelation gifts. There are three revelation gifts that um, are meant to give revelation to the Spirit of God or to the people of God. There's the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and the discerning of spirits. And we can see that up at the top there. 
And then there are three gifts of power. They fall under this category called the gifts of power. They're designed then by God to give power to his church, to his people. The gift of faith, the gift of healing, and the gift of miracles. And tonight we want to look at two more gifts that fall under the gift of inspiration. These are gifts of the Spirit that inspire us and inspire others and bring inspiration to the body of Christ. The three gifts are the gift of prophecy, the gift of tongues or of other languages, and the gift of interpretation of tongues. Tonight we're going to just focus on those last two, the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. And already I feel a few of us cringing on the inside, oh no, we're going to talk about tongues. Because of all the gifts, tongues makes us probably the most nervous, if you will. We're not comfortable with it all the way. We're not quite sure what to do with it, and we're going to dive into that in just a few minutes. But can I just invite you, as we start to talk about this, we're going to dive right into God's Word. And let's let God's Word speak to us about what His gift is, this gift of tongues. And before we go back to our memory of things that we've experienced that might have been weird or things that people have said about it that have made us uncomfortable or things that we've seen that made us go, I don't know if I want to deal with this any longer. Let's let go of those things for just a few minutes and let's dive into God's Word and let's see what God says about this gift because I think it's going to surprise some of us what he actually says about it and how he uses it in the life of the believer. When God created mankind, he did something that had not been done anyplace else in creation up until that point. Until that point, everything that had been created was either physical or spiritual, a, a heavenly or earthly composite. And then God created man, and he created mankind to be both a physical being, the flesh and the bones of what we are and who we are, and at the same time, he created us to be spiritual beings. He created us with a spirit man, a wonderful, amazing creation of physical and spirit all together in one package. For the very first time in creation, that existed in the form of mankind. We were created then to be physical beings in a world that's secular and at the same time relate in a spiritual relationship with our Father, with our Creator, with our God, via the spirit part of who we are, with the spirit man that he placed inside of us. And this unique creation, this unique relationship, thrived for a short period of time. It worked for a short period of time until the time of the fall. And then, as promised by God regarding the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we died, mankind died. Not in a physical way. The physical part of man didn't die, but the spiritual part of man died. The spirit part of who man was and how we related to God didn't exist anymore. It died. And this death resulted in a separation from God on our part. An inability to come close to him in relationship any longer. And an inability to relate to him on a spiritual level. And mankind had to now suddenly find physical ways, human ways to relate to a spiritual God, to be able to be in relationship with him. 
we were forced to hear from God for the very first time via a prophet or an intermediary or somebody outside of ourselves. There wasn't direct communication any longer. We had to offer sacrifices, physical sacrifices for the spiritual sin of our hearts to be able to be in relationship with God and to follow a set of laws to keep that relationship alive and active. But God had a plan, and that's not new news to us, that through the physical human body of his own son, Jesus Christ, God destroyed the curse that was over mankind, and he restored a pathway for mankind to once more be in relationship with him again, without the physical parts being in in the middle any longer. But he didn't just restore relationship. He went above and beyond as he gave us his spirit, his own Holy Spirit, so that at that moment of salvation, as we accepted Jesus Christ to be the Lord over our lives, to come into our hearts, to crush the power of sin and death over us, the gift of his spirit came into our lives. Pastor Jason talked about it this Sunday. And as that happened, it revived our spirit man from death to life. Our spirit man came alive again effectively and totally restoring what the ravages of sin had accomplished in us for centuries. And once more, mankind was able to be in a spiritual relationship with God, with his creator. But then, if that wasn't enough, this same spirit that God deposited in us came power-packed with more gifts. Not just reviving our spirit man, but at the same time giving our spirit man the ability for the first time in our creation, for the first time since the fall, to live successfully in a physical world as physical human and spiritual man to live once more in the world, but not be a part of it. To be able to be again in intimate relationship, influential relationship with our Father, with our Creator, with God. And with this new spiritual ability to be able then to participate in the works that God was going to be doing in the earth to participate in and be a part of his plan of restoration of the hearts of mankind because of the gifts that were working inside of us. See, God's gifts are good gifts. And the Spirit is God's gift to each one of those that call on his name and invite him into their lives. So this means that this is something that we need to be very uh, understanding of. We need to take it as our own and adapt it and accept it Uh, accept God's gifts to me because these gifts, the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are what I need to live for God in this secular world. They're what I need to be able to have the life that God promises to me in his word that he's designed for me to be able to live in this secular world. You see, we're physical and spiritual beings in a physical and secular world. And we, when we engage our spirit man, that spirit part of who we are, when we engage that in interacting with the, God, the spirit of God that is within us, then we don't miss out on the spiritual implications 
of what's taking place around us, and we're able to participate with what God is doing in the world and be a part of it and not just be spectators, but participants in what God is doing. Paul calls this several times in the New Testament. He calls this this idea of participating with God's Spirit, our Spirit and God's Spirit participating together. He calls this idea walking in the Spirit, allowing our spirit man, if you will, to connect with God's Spirit within us and empowering us to live godly lives, empowering us to be world changers, empowering us to be Christ on the earth, carrying out God's plans and living a life other than the world has to give to us, a spiritual life in a physical world. Paul says it this way in Galatians. He says, for you were called to be free. He's talking to these brand new Christian Galatians. And he says to them, you were called to be free, brothers. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the entire law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out. Or you will be consumed by one another. I say then, and this is the challenge to them, it's the challenge to us, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit of God that's alive in you. Connect with your spirit man to God's Spirit so that you don't devour one another. And he brings it back to this pinnacle of loving one another. And then we won't carry out the desires of the flesh. See, this isn't a New Testament concept. This idea of God's Spirit assisting us to live godly lives in a secular world. Ezekiel describes the same thing as he outlines what God is going to do to the Jewish people as he brings them back into their own land. And in Ezekiel he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of the impurities of all of the idols, of all of your idols, and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you, he says. And here we get this picture of God's spirit again working in mankind. And he's talking about something that's getting ready to happen that they hadn't experienced yet. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. See, God knows that the, as, as physical beings, uh, our spirit man needs his infusion the power of his spirit to live the good and the godly life that he's designed for us to live. Chuck Swindoll explains it in this little piece I'm getting ready to find and read to you. Chuck Swindoll explains that in this little piece. This is Chuck Swindoll speaking, and he says, a number of miles from the Los Angeles basin, there's a river. The river has been dammed up by man, and through the genius and innovation of engineers, they have put a they've put together a dam that has, in its process of working, housed electricity. Hundreds of thousands of volts that are fed into the Los Angeles basin. And if you were to go to the plant, the source, and follow the lines that come into the city, you would come to, a, to various transmission plants along the way that would be marked danger, high voltage, no trespassing, danger. Hundreds of thousands of volts are available in energy for your home. But who needs 
hundreds of thousands of volts unless he wants to burn up his house. Knowing that, the engineers have built transformers into the system, not transmitters, but transformers. And the transformer does nothing more than break down into meaningful units just the electricity that you need. I have in my home, for example, another transformer. One Christmas day, I gave myself an HO gauge train set. I put my son's name on it, but it was really for me. So we had a great time putting it all together, and there's a tiny little unit called a transformer on the train set, and it breaks down the 110 volts from the wall to even less volts. Why, if you plugged into, why, if you plugged into a straight 110 outlet, that thing would go for one second and be burned to a crisp. But the transformer breaks it down to where a tiny little train whose engine could be held in your fist can just putt, putt, putt all around the track and entertain me for hours on end, all because there's a little transformer that dispenses it in the needed level. When the Holy Spirit, the transformer, comes, he will take the majestic truth of God and will dispense it just the way you need it, give it to you with handles that you can take and use. It is the Spirit's delight to take full truth of God and make one thing meaningful to that woman, something altogether different to that man, and something different again to that fellow down there. That's the work of the Spirit, and he never makes a mistake. He gives you just what you can handle. See, walking in the Spirit is the central metaphor for describing what it means for us as followers of God to be a man or a woman of God, a follower of Jesus Christ, a believer in a secular world, walking in the Spirit. Failure to rely on the Spirit results in a believer not being able to live up to the life that God has called him to live. We need the Spirit to be able to live the life that God's designed for us to live. It doesn't change the status of our salvation whether we walk in the Spirit or don't walk in the Spirit, it does change where we end up in the end. Our salvation doesn't change, and I want to make that very clear, but whether, whether or not we walk in God's Spirit or not determines where we end up in the end and whether we have the life that God's designed for us to live. So tonight we want to look at two gifts that I believe are game changers in the life of a believer, in the life of a church. The gift of speaking in tongues and the gift of interpreting those tongues. These gifts fall under the internet, the inspirational gift category, meaning that God has given them to us and to the, to the church, the people of God, for the purposes of inspiring his people, for inspiring his church, and sometimes even inspiring others that don't even know him yet. In any relationship, whether it's a husband and wife relationship or a father-son relationship or friendships, whatever that relationship is, communication is the key to that relationship thriving and going forward and being healthy. Without good communication in a relationship, relationships fall apart. They deteriorate quickly and they crash and they burn. Good communication allows a relationship to grow in intimacy and to develop healthfully, to be vibrant, and to be alive. Speaking in tongues is this. 
in the life of the believer and in the life of the church. It provides, again, for us as physical beings, it provides for us an open lines of communication on an intimate and a spiritual level that we can't find anyplace else between a believer or between believers and, be and between God. And this is why I think that Satan has, uh, in particular, fights against this particular specific gift maybe more than any other gift that's out there. Because speaking in tongues has been vigorously debated, and that's an understatement. It's been vigorously debated and contested for centuries on college campuses and in school dorm rooms and in churches and in homes trying for, for Christians trying to figure out what, what does it all mean and how do I use it and is it of God or is it of the devil and so on. Because of what it represents, it's been contested. And because it also has been misused and abused, misrepresented and misunderstood by believers for centuries, from the very beginning, and we're going to see that in just a second. So what is speaking in tongues? It's something that we see only from the beginning of the church. We don't really see it before the work of Jesus Christ, before his death, burial, resurrection, and the beginning of the church. We don't see it with God's people ever before that in the Bible. Right there in Acts 2, and the day of Pentecost, the disciples were told by God, by Jesus, to wait, and that he was going to pour out on them the gift of the Spirit, and that when they got that gift, they were going to then have the power to go and do the Great Commission, to do the things that God was calling us as followers of Jesus to be able to do. And so there it happens that we see it taking place in, in uh, Acts 2 as the, the disciples are in the upper room and the, the room shakes, the, the city shakes, and God pours his spirit, his spirit, out on the disciples. And they're filled with the spirit. And the, the very first gift that is displayed or used is this gift, the gift of tongues. So there's nine gifts, but the gift that's displayed first is this gift of tongues as they're baptized by God's Spirit. In fact, Peter says that it highlighted for all of those that were standing there that this was God's fulfillment of his promise, that, that he said to the people in Joel chapter 2 that he would pour out his Spirit upon all flesh in the end days. This is what was happening, he told all those that were watching. And it's interesting to point out that the purpose of this gift wasn't in this setting at Pentecost. It wasn't for the people that were using the gift. The gift was for the people that were hearing. The proclamations of who God was, the power and the authority of who God was in their own languages. As, as uh, Jesus' disciples are speaking in languages that they've never used before, suddenly all of those that are standing around are now hearing the glories of God, the gifts of God, the power of God, the mighty and majesticness of God for the very first time in their own language. I believe the disciples didn't even know what they were saying as it came out of their mouths. They were just speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit. They knew what they were speaking, but they didn't know what those words were. Speaking in tongues has been around then since the beginning of the church, and from its beginning, it's been controversial, almost from that very first day. And we read there in Acts 2 that the people that were standing around are sneering and scoffing, and they're accusing the disciples of being drunk. 
being filled with wine at 9 o'clock in the morning. And still today, there are huge parts of the body of Christ that see this gift, this gift of speaking in tongues, as something that isn't for the church, that isn't for believers today. They actually sometimes even see it as something that's not from God. It's something from Satan. It's a satanic indwelling or possession that comes into a person's life. But in any case, the tongue, the speaking in tongues has been divisive from its very, very beginning. I believe because the, the, enemy, the enemy knows that this is something powerful that the church needs to do what he's called us to do in these days. Faith Bible Chapel in the days in front of us. We need the gift of speaking in tongues. I don't know how God's going to use it, but he knows how he's going to use it. And he wants us to be comfortable with it. And he wants us to take it on as our own and use it for what he has in front of us as a church in the days to come. So what we want to do tonight is take a brief but an exact look at what the Word says about the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues so that we can dispel all of the confusion that is surrounding this particular gift so that we can disarm the controversy that is surrounding this gift and if at all possible so that we can represent the beauty of this gift and why God's given to this to us so that we can personally and corporately have a new confidence to uh, apply this gift in our lives, to take it for our own and to use it as an individual in our prayer life and in our walk with the Lord and to use it corporately to edify and encourage and strengthen God's body. So to do this, what I'd like to do is to look at what I call God's manual for the gift of tongues, and it's found right here in his word. If you wouldn't mind grabbing your Bibles, either on your phone or your iPad or the, the, uh, the book, if you have it in your hand, and it's found in the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians, and actually when we look at 1 Corinthians, what we see here is that Paul is describing to these, as Pastor Blake put it last week, these fleshly, pagan brand new Christians who are still trying to figure out what does it look like to serve God? What does it really look like to follow Christ? And they're kind of mixing some of the things of the world with the things of God. And, and so Paul is laying it out for them piece by piece by piece. And so we see 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13 and 14. He does this. He gives us this package of what the gifts of the Spirit look like and how they operate in our lives. And in chapter 12, he starts to lay the foundation. And then he says, really, the foundation for using all of these gifts is to be done in love. And so in chapter 13, he gives us the love chapter. It doesn't stand alone. All of these gifts then are connected to this, this thing that God calls us to, to love each other, to love all mankind, to love the way God loves humankind. So we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, God takes all this time to explain to us what love is. And then as he ends chapter 13, he says uh, that of all the things, faith, hope, and love are the best, but the best of those three is love. And then he continues his thought as we go into chapter 14. And if you don't mind, I'm going to read the whole chapter 14. And it's about 500 verses long, and it's really short. It's only 40 verses long, but it's power-packed. I promise you won't get bored. If you get bored, stand up and move around because this is good stuff. And I want to go through the whole thing. 
And so what I'm going to do is I'm reading to you out of the message version. The message version is just a, a contemporary composite of those words. It's not, a, it's not a direct translation, but it gives us an idea in our own uh, vernacular what God is saying about the gifts of the Spirit. And so he's continuing this thought on love, and in, in verse 1 he says, go after life, excuse me, go after a life of love as if your life depended on it, because it does. Give yourselves to the gifts God gives you. I'm going to pause there for just a second. So he's still talking about the gifts. He's talking about the fact that we need to do them in a life that's given to love. And now he's getting ready to dive into this gift, the gift of speaking in tongues. But he says, give your life to the gifts that God gives you. That's a challenge to us today. Because I think lots of us, we get to that table of gifts that God has for us. Can you all see these gifts that are up here? Don't those look great? They're full of some great things. And this is what we do. We walk around those gifts. And we look at them and we eye them and we touch them and we are tempted to take them. And, and maybe this one will take because I feel comfortable with this one. Uh, but that one that's speaking in tongues, this big one over here, this one really makes me uncomfortable. So I think I'm just going to leave it on the table. That's probably for somebody else because I don't feel very comfortable with it. So I'm going to, that gift of tongues, I'm just going to leave that one there. But this one I like, so I'm going to take this one. And Paul is telling us, grab a hold of the gifts that God has for you, all of that the Spirit has to give to you. Take it and make it your own. Give yourselves the gifts that God gives to you. And then he goes on, he says, most of all, try to pro proclaim his truth. If you praise him, he's talking about God, if you praise him in a private prayer language, excuse me, if you praise him in a private language of tongues, God understands. But you, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to keep looking down here. If you praise him, mm, there we go, if you praise him in the private language of tongues, God understands, but no one else does. For you are sharing intimacies just between you and him. But when you proclaim his truth in everyday speech, you're letting others in on the truth so that you and they can grow and be strong and experience his presence with you. The one who prays using a private prayer language certainly gets a lot out of it. But proclaiming God's truth to the church in its common language brings the whole church into growth and strength. I want all of you to develop intimacies with God in prayer, but please don't stop with that. Go on and proclaim his clear truth to others. It's more important that everyone have access to the knowledge and love of God in language everyone understands than that you go off and cultivate God's presence in a mysterious prayer language. Unless, of course, there is someone who can interpret what you are saying for the benefit of all. Think, friends. In other words, use common sense. He's, he says, if, you come, if, if I come to you and all I do is pray privately to God in a way that only he can understand, what are you going to get out of that? If I don't address you plainly with some insight or truth or proclamation or teaching, what help am I to you? If musical instruments, flutes, say, or harps, aren't played so that each note is distinct, and in tune, how will anyone be able to catch the melody and enjoy the music? If the trumpet call can't be distinguished, will anyone show up for the battle? 
So if you speak in, an, in a way that no one can understand, what's the point of opening your mouth? There are many languages in the world, and they all mean something to someone. But if I don't understand the language, it's not going to do me much good. It's no different with you. Since you're so eager to participate in what God is doing, why don't you concentrate on doing what helps everyone in the church? So he's talking to these Galatians who are these uh, Corinthians who are uh, using tongues in their service. And like everybody's speaking in tongues, but nobody knows what's going on. And so he's saying, what good is that? Why do you do that? Because nobody's getting anything out of it. It's not edifying you. It's not edifying the church. You're all just speaking in tongues. If you're going to do that, at least do it in a way that helps everyone in the church. So when you pray in your private prayer language, in public, he's talking about, when you pray in your private prayer language, don't hoard the experience for yourself. Pray for the inside and ability to bring others into that intimacy. If I pray in tongues, my spirit prays, but my mind lies fallow. In other words, I don't know what my, my, by my mind, I don't know what my spirit is saying. Because my spirit, the spirit part of who I am, is what's praying. And all the intelligence, he says, is wasted. So what's the solution? The answer is simple enough. Do both. I should be spiritually free and expressive as I pray, but I should also be thoughtful and mindful as I pray. In other words, I can pray in the Spirit, and I can pray in using common language that people will understand. I should sing with my spirit and sing with my mind. I can sing in the Spirit, from my spirit to, who, to God about who He is, and I can sing with my mind, with words that I understand that everybody else will understand. If you give a blessing using your private prayer language, which no one else understands, how can some outsider who has just shown up and has no idea what's going on or no, has no idea what's going on, know when to say the amen? Your blessing might be beautiful, but you have very effectively cut that person out of it. I'm grateful to God for the gift of praying in tongues that he gives us for praising him which leads to wonderful intimacies we enjoy with him. I enter into it as much or more than any of you. But when I'm in church assembled for worship, I'd rather say five words that everyone can understand and learn from than say 10,000 that sound to others like gibberish. To be perfectly frank, I'm getting exasperated with your infantile thinking. How long before you grow up and use your head, your adult head? It's all, it's right, excuse me, it's all right to have a childlike unfamiliarity with evil. A simple no is all that's needed. But there's far more to saying yes to something. In other words, if we're going to say yes to using the, this gift, we have to be mature about it. We can't be infantile when it comes to saying yes, I'm going to use this gift. We need to use maturity in our spirits with that. But there's far more to saying yes to something. Only mature and well-exercised intelligence can save you from falling into gullibility. So where does this get you, all this speaking in tongues that no one understands? It doesn't help believers, and it only gives unbelievers something to gawk at. Plain truth-speaking, on the other hand, goes straight to the heart of believers and doesn't get in the way of unbelievers. 
If you come together as a congregation and some unbelieving outsider walks in on you as you're all praying in tongues, unintelligible to each other and to them, won't they assume you've taken leave of your senses and get out of there as fast as they can? But if some unbelieving outsiders walk in on a service where people are speaking out God's truth, the plain words will bring them up against the truth and probe their hearts. Before you know it, they're going to be on their faces before God, recognizing that God is among you. So here's what I want you to do. When you gather for worship, each one of you be prepared with something that will be useful for all. Again, talking about the whole body of Christ and edifying the body and the church together. Something will be useful for all. Sing a hymn, teach a lesson, tell a story, lead a prayer, provide an insight. If prayers are offered in tongues, two or three is the limit, and then only if someone is present who can interpret what you're saying. Otherwise, keep it between God and yourself and no more than two or three speakers at a meeting with the rest of you listening and taking it to heart. Take your turn, no one person taking over. Then each speaker gets a chance to say something special from God, and you will all learn from each other. If you choose to speak, you're also responsible for how and when you speak. Skip down to verse 39. He sums this all up, and he says three things then to sum this up. When you speak from God, forth God's truth, speak your heart out. Don't tell other people how they should or shouldn't pray when they're praying in tongues that you don't understand. Be courteous and considerate in everything. Another way he says there, another uh, version says, let everything be done with decency and in order. Okay, that was a lot of stuff. It's a big manual of instructions for us. And what I'd like to do is dissect it just a little bit by answering a few questions that constantly come up as we talk about this gift, the gift of tongues. And so as we go through, we'll keep relating back to the manual that we just read, God's manual that he gave to Paul. So who gets the gift of tongues? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, that God distributes his gifts to everyone as he wills. So it's up to God who gets that gift. Paul says here that he wishes, though, that all would speak in other languages. Many, uh, uh, many believe, as I was taught when I was growing up, that speaking in tongues uh, was the needed evidence, if you will, that a person had been baptized by the Holy Spirit. In other words, we could, you, you didn't have the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit if you weren't speaking in tongues. Uh, said a different way, speaking in tongues proved to everybody else that you were baptized in the Spirit. And so I remember lots of meetings where people would stand there for hours trying to get the, 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 the gift of speaking in tongues to prove that they actually had the gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But no place does it say that only certain people receive this gift. No place in the Bible does it say that only certain people receive this gift or only certain ones don't receive this gift. And this is my thought on this, and I'm happy to dialogue with you after the, the service about this. God is the giver of gifts. He can give it to whoever he wants to give it to. He can give it to an unbeliever if he wants to. He, we haven't ever seen that, but God is the giver of the gifts. 
He can give it to whoever he wants to give it to. And because it's a gift, are you following me? I can ask for it if I want it. It's a gift that I can ask for. It's a gift that God gives to his people. And if I want it, I can ask for it. So it isn't for an exclusive elite that certain people get the gift of speaking in tongues and certain people get the interpretation of tongues. If it's a gift from God, I can ask for it. It's for every believer. It isn't just for elite theologians or Christians that are stronger than other Christians. It's not just for charismatics, though charismatics are going to feel a lot more comfortable with it. It's for all believers, and it's a gift that God wants to give to his church and to his people. What is the gift for? We said in the beginning that his, uh, this gift, uh, his church and individual believers need a spiritual lines of communication to allow us to interact in a very spiritual way with our spirit man to our spiritual father, to connect to God. And, and in a very real way, this is, this is what tongues, speaking in tongues is on an individual basis. So individually, we see over and over in this manual that, that Paul describes that speaking in tongues is our spiritual prayer language. It allows us to go places in prayer that we can't go with our English words. I had an experience just a few months ago where a, a person called me, a family member called me, and they had just experienced a devastating experience. It broke my heart. It stirred up fear inside of me. There was so much emotion, I didn't even know what to do with it. And I found out about it at church, and all I can do is drive home like this, and I'm out ready to bust. And I know that we've all experienced those kinds of things in our lives. And I didn't know what to do, and I started to pace the floor, and I, I wanted to quickly rush to be with my family member, and and, I, and at the same time, knowing that wasn't going to do any good, and, and I wanted to turn on the TV, and I didn't want to turn on the TV, and I wanted to, I was ready to explode. And so I knew from experience, I need to pray. So I get down on my knees, and I started to pray, but I didn't even know what to pray. I was so overcome with emotion, I didn't even know what to say. And I just started to pray in the Spirit. It was beautiful. I just began to speak my heavenly language. And all of that stuff that was in my heart was able to come out. And I was able to express my spirit man, was able to express to God things that I would never know what to say with my mouth, with my, with my human thinking. And I'm convinced, I'm convinced that that prayer, that moment of prayer, and I, I know this is going to sound, but I'm convinced that that moment right there broke something in the spirit that needed to be broken. And nobody else in my family was praying that prayer. I don't know how it works, but I know that that changed the moment, not just for me, but for the whole situation. Because the spirit inside of me was able to communicate something to God that I wasn't able to do. And this is the intimacy that God wants to have with us. Not in an ooey-gooey, weird way, but in a very personal, intimate way with our Heavenly Father. Likewise, on a personal level, the gift of speaking in tongues allows me to praise God in words that my mouth cannot say. 
So it isn't just in prayer, but it's in praise of who he is. And Paul talks about that idea of, of singing to God. In another version, he says, For I pray in another language, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What does that mean? He says, I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with my understanding. In other words, with my spirit, I can say things in prayer that I can't say with my understanding. And he says, I will sing with the spirit, and I will also sing with my understanding. I'll sing things in the spirit that my, my heart doesn't know how to say that my, my English language can't form the words of praise of who God is. But my spirit man can. And I can praise God in a heavenly language in no other way that I could with my physical language. Corporately, what is the gift for? And this is where we get into treading some, some deep water. Paul makes it very clear that corporately, tongues, the speaking of tongues in a corporate setting, is a great way to edify, to encourage, to strengthen the body of Christ. It's a great way, but only if there's an interpretation. I grew up at Faith Bible Chapel when in every service, Victor's going to remember this, in every service there was a, a prophecy or a, a gift of tongues that would be spoken out that happened down at Carr Street this, this last weekend. Those of you that go to Carr can verify that. That, that every service that somebody would give a gift of tongues, and we'd all stand there and wait. And I was just a little kid at the time, and I'd stand there and wait. Somebody's going to give the interpretation. You just wait. And you'd wait, and you'd wait. And then somebody would give the interpretation. And almost always, 90% of the time, uh, it would be edifying. It would be a word from the Lord of encouragement. Sometimes it was a word of rebuke. Sometimes, and I remember this as an older uh, college student, that Sometimes it was actually a personal word that somehow God translated that into a language that spoke right into my heart like he was reading my mail and he knew right where I was at. From somebody that spoke a word in a tongue that I didn't understand, somebody else that interpreted over here who didn't even know me and God spoke to me right where I was at. And see, the gift of tongues in a corporate setting is meant to do that to edify the church, to build up the body of Christ corporately and sometimes even individually and give us a, a greater, stronger relationship with God. Sorry, I lost my place in my notes. Uh, Paul challenges the Corinthians and he challenges us today that this gift of speaking in tongues is not to be used in a public arena at a whim. And we know that because if we've ever seen it happen in that setting, it makes us very uncomfortable. As people start to just spout out words that nobody understands and it doesn't make any sense. In other words, if I have the gift of tongues, I shouldn't spout out a bunch of unfamiliar sounds and words that don't mean anything because it's not going to mean anything to the body of Christ, according to Paul's instructions. So what does this gift do and what does it not do? Ultimately, this is a wonderful gift of inspiration that God gives to us for the church today. Speaking in tongue edifies the body of Christ and it takes us into a personal place of intimacy with God that we can't get any other way. The gift of interpretation has to be used corporately or the gift of tongues is out of place. 
And both are gifts that God gives to his people. So I want to end with just a couple of thoughts and comments about this. As we come to a close, I think that many of us, many people stumble when we start talking about the gift of tongues. Like we said before, we get to that gift and we're, we're afraid to pick it up. Because either we haven't been using it, and so we don't feel comfortable with it, if we have it. Or we've seen it abused and misused, and so we don't know what to do with it. And so we just leave it on the table. And many people are actually afraid of this gift. Because of all of the gifts, of the nine gifts that God gives to us, this one freaks us out. It's kind of spooky. It's supernatural. It's weird because we're saying words that don't make any sense. Unfortunately, this has taken place because lots of believers have misused it in the church. And we feel like there's this ooey-gooey spiritualness to it of being possessed by the Holy Spirit, like out of control, like the exorcist. Suddenly the Holy Spirit came on him and he was out of control. That's not what it is at all. When I was a young boy, I remember people getting tongues around me and, and waiting for them to receive that gift, and it felt like they would be out of control. And God, and it's actually the exact opposite. I am in control. When I'm praying in tongues, I don't know what I'm saying, but I'm in control. And I'm allowing my spirit to connect with God's spirit so that he can rightly hear the right words. And I can communicate to God on a level that I can't any other way. Unfortunately, many people are afraid to use this gift because they're unfamiliar with it, because they've seen it misused and abused, and many of God's people have quit using this gift. And so I want to challenge you with something tonight. I want to ask you this question. Where are you when it comes to this gift? I know many of us in this room actually have the gift of speaking in tongues, but we don't use it because we're afraid of what other people are going to think about us, or we're uncomfortable using it, because it sounds weird and funny, or we just haven't done it enough, and so we just let it lie dormant. It's a gift that's in our closet, but we're not using it. Many of us in this room feel like, and have been taught, that it's a, a demon activity, demon possession, so we, we just don't want to touch it. In fact, you're sitting there feeling really uncomfortable. Why are we talking about this in church? And then others of us have seen it abused or we see it weird and we feel uncomfortable with it, and so we just leave it on the table. We don't know what to do with it. And so I want to challenge you tonight, wherever you're at in any of those categories, that we would do what Paul says to us and that we would engage all of the gifts that God's given to us, especially this one, not because Pastor Mike is saying it, but because God gives us this gift to have a deeper, more intimate relationship with him. He gives us this gift to edify the body and to edify others. So let's become familiar with it. Let's step back into using it if we've got the gift and not be afraid of what others are going to say because knowing that God wants to bless the church. He wants to strengthen us. He wants to convert and encourage unbelievers. And let's look at what God's Word says about this amazing and wonderful gift and embrace it as our own and begin to appropriate it in our prayer life. 
If you don't pray in tongues, can I challenge you to start praying in tongues for five minutes, three minutes, and get used to it, get comfortable with it, use that gift that God's given you. If you've never received it, we're going to pray for you tonight to receive it. And then if you're, if you're just, you're dogmatic, I'm, this is not of God, then I want to challenge you to go to God and say, God, is this of you? Because only God's going to be able to convince you. I can't convince you. I can't slip you the convincer, but God can. So go to God. If, you, if you're really uncomfortable with this gift, like it doesn't belong in God's house, it doesn't belong in God's, with God's people, it doesn't belong in, in church today, then go to God and talk to him about it. I guarantee it. He's not going to play games with you. He'll tell you the truth. He'll tell you how he wants it used in your life. If you'll open up your heart and talk to him about it. Don't listen to me. Don't listen to Pastor Jason. But listen to God. He's got a lot to tell you about it. And this is how I'd like to end the night. We have all of these gifts up here, and they represent the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're actually empty boxes, but they're filled with the Spirit of God. And, and this is what I want us to do. Uh, to take, take just a couple of minutes, and you know whatever gift it is that you're uncomfortable with. Uh, uh, Jaron, wouldn't you mind putting that slide back up here that has all nine gifts? You know which gift maybe that you want or, or that you're uncomfortable with. We're actually, in the coming days, we're going to be talking about the uh, power gifts, the gift of faith and healing and miracles. And we're going to learn more about those. But if you want to grab any of those gifts, and this is what I want to ask you to do. Come up and physically grab a hold of one or two of these gifts. And in just a moment, just say to the Lord, I want this gift. Whether it's the gift of tongues or the gift of interpretation of tongues. Or if it's the gift of healing or the gift of faith, whatever it is. For just a moment, and you, between you and God, between you and your Father, say, I want to do what Paul tells us to do. I want to engage my spirit again with these gifts of the Spirit. Grab a hold of it between you and God and, and uh, symbolizing that you're taking it, you're receiving it, because this is where people stumble. We're afraid to grab that gift. We see it, it's on the table, we walk around the table, but we won't pick it up. So pick it up tonight. Make it your own for just a couple minutes. Don't take it home with you, because somebody else needs to pick it up. But take it home with you in your heart. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.